Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all of the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Well, f- gals, pals, and non-binary pals, uh, we finally made it. Uh, I don't know what you think of Bohemian Rhapsody winning four Oscars at the 2019 Oscars, uh, but no one says it better than the Queen and Freddie Mercury. We are the champions. Uh, this was my second year attempting to complete the Oscars Death Race Challenge, and I am proud to announce that I am two for two, baby. All 41 features, 15 sorts, and 56 film totals before the airing of the Oscar ceremony this past Sunday. It was quite a trip to get there, but let's go over that last one or so since I've had since the last episode. So when I left off, I was at about 40 films total completed, 35 features and 5 sorts done, uh, with 6 features and 10 sorts left. I recorded the episode last Wednesday afternoon, so I figured if you counted each of the two sort categories as their own feature-length film, I could do about 2 films a day or so and be done in time for the Oscars. In fact, if I watched one that Wednesday evening and then tripled up on Saturday, I'd actually be home free a day early. So Wednesday evening, I pulled up Love and Monsters with the Wife. I remember having heard about this film as having gone straight to VOD in doing my box office podcast uh, in the midst of the, pa- of the pandemic, so I didn't really have particularly high hopes for this one, but it turned out to be a great time overall. Dylan O'Brien is an actor we recognize from seeing the Maze Runner franchise, Jessica Henwick has also popped up in a few places, and is apparently an upcoming Matrix movie, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing her career moving forward. Uh, and then Michael Rooker is always a delight, uh, plus the newcomer child actress Ariana Greenblatt was welcome as well. And the dog doesn't die, which is a plus, uh, and a bit of a deal-breaker for the wife, all told. Um, the special effects for which Love and Monsters was nominated, and in particular the creature designs, were very impressive and I think definitely deserved the nomination. Overall, the film felt like a not-quite-as-sarcastic or sardonic version of Zombieland, which is a film franchise I generally enjoyed, so I'm glad this one made the nominees, as I probably wouldn't have seen it otherwise. In any case, my plan had been to double up on Thursday and Friday and then triple up on Saturday to finish, but after Wednesday, things kind of went off the rails. For one, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice or not, but my allergies this year hit me especially hard. I guess after hiding out all pandemic, uh, not having an, an allergy season at all last year, uh, they're back with a vengeance this year, maybe I don't have the antibodies built up. So I've generally been feeling under the weather this past week or so. Uh, so Thursday, I was only able to get the one and only Ivan in. As expected, pretty cute kids movie about talking animals going on an adventure. The VFX certainly were impressive, especially when you look at the behind the scenes of how they created the talking animals from scratch. And somehow I made a back-to-back feature with Ariana Greenblatt, uh, appearing in both films in very diff- different roles. Um, that said, I wouldn't say that the CG was done better than, say, Disney's Jungle Book or The Lion King in terms of talking animals. So I could have honestly done without this one in the death race. But hey, it was only 90 minutes or so, so not the worst uh, offender out there. So come Friday evening, I put on the longest I had le- film I had left, Chris Nolan's Tenet. Man, this one I definitely wish I'd been able to see in theaters on the big screen, though I will admit I did have subtitles on when I watched it, which came in handy due to the often-mentioned sound-mixing issues, uh, making it impossible to hear some of the dialogue. I don't really have much more to add, aside from what's already been said multiple times about Tenet at this point, um, but it's a pretty straightforward, or as straightforward as Chris Nolan gets anyway, uh, film about time travel, which again is always a tricky subject to tackle. Um, maybe because I've seen a fair bit of Doctor Who, the idea of moving backwards through time parallel to people moving forwards 
didn't melt my brain as much as it did for others, I think. Um, there were some micro moments throughout the film uh, where I think the editing or framing could have been a little bit clearer to explain the specific interaction between the past self uh, interacting with the future self. Um, but you know, on a macro level say, sense, I think it, it pretty much made sense to me and I was able to track it uh, moving you know, throughout the film. In fact, the macro layout of the screenplay, if you think about it, <laughs> at least for me, and maybe this is a, a little bit, you know, typical online film discuss is a pretty thing it's pretty much a thing of beauty in my opinion with its unique structure something again I, that's a bit of a hallmark for Nolan uh, sound mixing aside I think sound editing definitely deserves a shout out here for really selling the visual effects this film was nominated for with regard to the reverse time sequences of you know the sound of things going backwards in time uh, well I know it's never going to happen for budgetary reasons I could definitely see a tenant organization television series of some sort of fighting said future war in the present um, in any case though definitely looking forward to see more of John David Washington and Robert Pattinson in movies in the future and as Jeff our guest said last episode this was definitely robbed for a nomination for best score okay so that was my late friday night turning into saturday morning which is why in letterboxd i have tenant as a saturday film since i since about half of it was watched past midnight uh so going into the weekend i still had three features left midnight sky mulan and eurovision as well as the two sorts categories to complete Plus, I also had the Academy of Death Racer show to watch, so that's about 12 hours of content overall. Uh, not to mention, my dog actually had a vet appointment that afternoon, and for some reason, I woke up Saturday with some sort of busted knee-based injury. Uh, not really sure what caused it, but on top of my allergies, I was definitely feeling pretty crappy all around on Saturday, so this was going to be close. You know, I could have tried to do maybe three uh, on Saturday and then two on Sunday, uh, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happened. So... Saturday morning, while the wife was getting pictures in Central Park of some spring birds, I hobbled over to the couch and tuned into The Midnight Sky on Netflix. Honestly, this is probably a film I don't think ever really popped out or stood out in terms of the visual effects despite the nomination, and the story felt kind of twee, if that's the word. Um, I don't really know... I don't know, maybe it's me being getting hung up on all of the science part of the science fiction story being pretty inaccurate, right? So, for example, we're supposed to believe that we just happen to not have seen an extra moon for many centuries around Jupiter, or, you know, which, by the way, takes, uh, you know, six years to get to one way, and it's supposed to be a uh, two-year round trip uh, in the film. And not to mention, you know, a mere 25 years from now, we'll be able to launch a mission to said moon. Um, all of those, you know, scientific nonsense aside, right? I guess this dismisses out on the best part of science fiction for me, you know, using a future or near future scenario to try to comment on something about our present day. Um, and this film didn't really do that in any meaningful way that I could figure out. So uh, Midnight Sky, thumbs down for me, unfortunately. So then we went to the vet. Uh, don't worry, the pup is fine. Um, and I got back in time to watch the Academy of Death Racers awards ceremony, which I'll talk about in a little bit at the end of the episode. Now, unfortunately, by the time the show wrapped up, I was definitely feeling under the weather and ended up dozing off pretty early with two features and two sword categories left to watch. I did wake up, you know, uh, maybe like 11.30 or so, maybe a little bit after midnight to, uh, and wasn't able to sleep after my nap. So I ended up watching about an hour of the first half of Mulan on my phone before going back to sleep. Uh, and then the first thing when I woke up on Sunday morning is I watched the other half uh, in bed while I was letting my knee rest. 
Now, this is a film I definitely had been putting off watching for quite a while. And when it initially came out last year, there was a lot of negative press, especially among the Asian American community. I mean, there's a part definitely celebrating, yeah, we have Asian actors on film, but there was a lot of people saying that, you know, the Chinese culture depicts on the show felt very sallow and inaccurate. Um, didn't, you know, your attempt at recreating the, the, the 90s film lacked a lot of the charm to it, um, not even just because of the lack of the music. Um, yeah. So yeah. No. And you know, given that a lot of the, the behind the scenes camera talent, uh, despite the, the the actors in front, uh, were pretty much all white people. Basically, um, at least the original Mulan had an Asian writer. I'm not fully surprised this is the case. Um, you know, it, it felt very much they were moving the plot along to hit the beats of the familiar story without really giving us any emotional reason to be invested, aside from the fact, like, oh, look, it's something from your talent, and we'll play reflection in the background a little bit. Um, so even putting aside the comparison to uh, to the original movie, as a standalone film, the emotional beats and the message they would finally get of like accepting who you are wasn't really communicated all that clearly, I think. Um, if there is anything to praise about this film, I think one, the stunt team, especially the, the people who rode on the horses, definitely deserve, I think, if there's going to be a, I think if there should be a Oscars for stunt work separate from visual effects, and uh, this would definitely, I think, qualify for that category. Um, Donnie Yen and Jet Li, of course, with their martial arts skills, always very legit. I uh, got to give a shout out to my favorite, one of my favorite content creators. Is Jimmy Wong, who got uh, one of his breaks in movies, you know, doing uh, playing one of the Mulan's fellow soldiers here. Uh, but yeah, you know, I wouldn't. I, I that all said, I would not even give this film a nomination for costume design, which it was nominated for, or visual effects, frankly speaking. Um, so yeah, uh, if there was a single film, I think I would have stricken from the entire Death Face. Uh, this one would have been it. So by the way, uh, Mulan by the by the. By the way, with Mulan, I completed the visual effects category, and my pick at the time uh, for the category was Tenet. You know, not hard to see why, but the film definitely did more with its CG, more than just create you know cool talking animals or space environments or weird martial artifacts. Um, the fact that it actually they, and the fact that they actually did practical effects to crash a plane into a hangar instead of you know uh, trying to do it via CG um, because it was cheaper is definitely something I can appreciate in my heart of hearts. Uh, so anyway, with Mulan out of the way and visual effects category, we had two sort categories, live action documentary left, as well as Eurovision. By this time, it was about 11 a.m. or so uh, when I finished Mulan in bed, so I moved over to the living room and fired up the IFC channel on my Roku to start the documentary sorts category. Uh, briefly for each film, I'll give a little bit of my thoughts on them. A love song for La Tossa, I appreciated the experimental nature of the documentary and recreating the director's memory of La Tossa as an individual. It's very pathos and emotional film, though for documentary, I guess I do want some of the more logos, informative, educational component behind it. A Do Not Split is probably my favorite film of the bunch, and my pick for what I think sort of won the category. Just getting that on-the-ground, embedded view of the Hong Kong protesters from uh, 2019 felt new and refreshing while balancing, you know, again, that, emo that educational component with the emotional you know, needs of the, uh, of the protesters. Uh, Hunger Ward, this one I felt dragged on a little bit too long and could have played, used some tighter editing, I think. Um, it definitely felt like a PSA, you know, with like arms of an angel silently playing in the background with like definitely a, an important call to action at the end. And while it accomplished what it set out to do, I guess I can't, I guess I can't really say it did anything groundbreaking or artistic in its presentation. 
Uh, Colette is probably my second choice to win the category. Um, I think the celebration of Colette's story uh, in the present day in parallel to this, to her recounting the story of her brother as a freedom fighter all those years ago was definitely like a, a very interesting way of presenting that screenplay, I guess, quote-unquote screenplay or script, um, which again, brought the right balance of the emotion in balance to the educational components of the documentary. And then finally, we have A Concerto is a Conversation, which I guess I wanted to like more than I did. I appreciate the story being told, but the presentation of being just mostly talking heads and having a conversation felt really basic and not all that artistic, I guess. I guess, I guess, you know, just off the title alone, I could have structured, I would have structured this personally as a film where the piece is set to, the, the concerto piece in question is being played in the background constantly, and you kind of tie, you know, one person's conversation to one part, one person's part of the conversation to another part of the the, the orchestra, and then kind of having that actual conversation mirror the, the concerto in question. Uh, but anyway, that's just me. So documentary sorts took about two hours, maybe a little bit longer with pausing. So about 1.30 or so, I finished up. Um, having a quick lunch later, it was about 2 p.m. when I when I started the IFC live action sorts collection. Uh, first up here was pre- The Present. Um, it's a cute story that highlights some real-world issues in the Middle East. Ultimately, it was fine, but I don't think it really did too much to stand out from the others for me. Um, at least, though, this and many other films in this category did not have the tragic ending it did in past years. Uh, Feeling Through was the next and probably my favorite of the category. I think I'm just a sucker for stories told in and about New York City. I know, I forget which one it was last year um, that that was nominated, but it was another one set in New York uh, that, you know, most people didn't like, but I personally like just because of that New York feel to it. Um, But yeah, there's something here that the filmmakers just nailed with the specificity about how New York is and those late nights in the city waiting for a bus and random kindness, strangers to each other in an otherwise uncaring concrete jungle. just felt really real to me. Um, It perfectly captured that moment in time between feeling that New York can offer you an experience you'll never forget or have anywhere else. Uh, plus, you know, having a legitimate deaf-blind actor, you know, props for that. Uh, now, Two Distant Strangers is another New York-based film, though not explicitly about New York per se, as much as it is about the black man's experience in America. Uh, the best way I would think about this is definitely like a modern version of a Twilight Zone episode, maybe mixed with Groundhog Day. Um, you know, a man basically relives the worst life in his day over and over again, uh, restoring it whenever he dies. Uh, now, I know there's probably some controversy about this one with it, regarding it being exploitative, um, given the events over the past year, and while I can appreciate that sentiment and perspective for sure, I think there's an equal valid perspective that the uncomfortable depiction and story that this portrays is the reality that the, that the filmmakers are trying to convey that might otherwise seem like fiction. Um, and, you know, I think that provocative commentary on modern society that science fiction does that I mentioned earlier is definitely present here. And then we had White Eye, which I think was my runner-up for this category behind Feeling Through. Uh, The premise is pretty simple. You know, a man, I think in Israel, uh, finds his stolen bike on the street and tries to take it back, setting off a chain of events. Um, However, the execution here is what really is the most impressive, and frankly, even more impressive than Feeling Through on a technical level. First off, it's basically a single one-shot take, uh, which is always a treat to see done well. And then the screenplay here and how it unfolds is just masterfully done slowly. You know, you build your own opinions about what may or may not be 
going on. And I think that shift of how things switch and the twist it gives it over time um, and the and the moral quandary that the protagonist finds himself in that you start thinking about yourself you know really does done well I think you know, especially pay attention whenever the protagonist or uh, anyone mentions money and what that means basically and what the protagonist values uh, finally, you know, we, we move to The Letter Room, which is the last one. This one features a story about a prison guard played by Oscar Isaac, who trans- transfers into a role in the prison where he screens the letters of prisoners and inadvert- inadvertently discovers things about the prisoners themselves and their correspondence that he wouldn't otherwise. I get that the character he, he's trying to play is someone who wants to help the prison genuinely. Um, and, you know, he learns that there's more than one way to do so through this experience with the letters. Um but I, I don't know. I just felt kind of misguided in a way. I really can't quite place. Um, and I also just felt somewhat unambitious um, in, in the way that other films didn't feel. So, you know, um, definitely not my favorite here. So, you know, by the time I wrapped up the sorts, um, it was 4 p.m. And with one two-hour film left to go, um, it was going to be pretty close, but I was probably going to make it. Uh, the Oscars pre-show started at 6.30 uh, with the ceremony proper starting at 8 8, 8 p.m. So, you know, um, definitely a little bit of time to go, If I, but time if I wanted to beat the pre-show. Um, I took about 15 minutes or so to put together my final predictions to post on social media now that I finished all of the categories. Um, well, technically still need to finish the song, but um, I had listened to all the songs by this point already so I could make my call. Um, and so at 4.15, uh, I started my final film, Eurovision Song, Constant- Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Now, if you've been listening to the show before, you know that last year I ended up on Breakthrough, which was nominated only for original song. Suffice to say, it was not the best film to end on last year, but it seems like I've started the tradition of ending my death race on a film nominated for original song only. And thankfully, Eurovision is no breakthrough. It's rare that comedies really get nominated at the Oscars, and I think that's part of why Borat this year was such a big deal. Um, I obviously wouldn't call Eurovision the peak of comic comedic writing out there, but you know, it definitely ha- I definitely had more than my fair share of laughs throughout. Um, you know, I know it knows exactly what it's trying to do and executes on that impeccably with some fun musical numbers throughout. And yeah, I'm totally in love with Yaya Ding Dong. As far as best song goes, um, I definitely see what guest Jeff in Cla- from Classic Movies Live said last week, and that Eurovision is the only film that really used its song in the narrative meaningfully as opposed to just over the credits um, which you know gives it the edge for me as well perhaps they should change the categories so that it's only songs uh, where the films are where the songs are in the film as opposed to um, you know over the credits um, maybe we get more non-animated musicals celebrated at the Oscars this way so anyway, as of 6.22 p.m. Eastern on April 25th, 2021, I completed my second ever Oscars death race with about eight minutes to spare before the final uh, pre-show. Now, definitely a little bit dicey toward the ends there, especially with, you know, feeling under the weather and, and whatnot. My knee's starting to feel better, thankfully, and, you know, well, allergies will go on for a while longer, but I'll be able to deal with that. So I'm glad to be able to say I was able to complete this. According to OscarsDeathRace.com, we've had 111 people who completed the death race this year. So if that's one of you, Congratulations. Uh, this definitely was an easier year than last, uh, if not with most, if not all films, legally available online leading up to the ceremony. I think the only two that I had extracurricular help with uh, were the two on Apple TV, Wolfwalkers and Greyhound, since I don't have that service. But yeah, really easy to watch. No needing to rush the theaters to try and catch that one screening you're able to make before the ceremony for a random international film. Uh, as far as my films, I most enjoyed its death race. Uh, I'm not... These are going to be films that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Not going to count any Best Picture nominees. Um, and, you know, definitely not necessarily the most technically competent. For example, Quo Vitis Ida. 
amazing film. Glad I saw it, but never want to see this again. Uh, so these are the films that I would say I'm glad I saw them. I saw and had a good time with. Um, so the top six I would say are uh, also excluding sorts: um, Another Round, White Tiger, Love and Monsters, Greyhound, Saw the Sheep Farmageddon, and The Mole Agent. Um, as far as the six films, I would rather not uh, ha- would rather have not watched, and would have preferred something else get nominated. Um, you know, and frankly, what I say a bit of a waste of a time. Uh, if not for the death race, I definitely would have would not have seen these, and would not recommend these. Um, One and only Ivan, my octopus teacher, Mulan, Youth versus Billy Holiday, Time, and Midnight Sky. So, Death Racers. Uh, Death Race aside, how did the actual Oscars go? Well, last week with Jeff and Pierre, I had my predictions, plus a couple of new ones with VFX, Live Sorts, and Doc Sorts. We'll go through those each category as we go through the ceremony, but I will say, I actually don't normally watch the Oscars during, despite watching all of the nominees, um, you know, the last couple of years. Um, I don't know, something about just like three hours of, you know, of, of you know the typical stuff where it's like, it just goes on way too long, the speeches are way too much, right? Um, and again, I wasn't really as invested in the Oscars without having seen everything. Um, but given the promise of Soderbergh that this year would be a bit different, given that you know I wasn't going anywhere with my, with my busted knee, I was a little bit intrigued. So yeah, plus I had the Discord community to, to react to it. So I definitely think the Oscars is something that is best enjoyed with other people who have seen the films as well. So I know that some people were thrown off by the lack of clips playing before the films, which I get as a non-Death Racer is definitely going to be disorienting for you if you haven't seen the film. I know that some Death Racers also didn't like that change as well. Personally, didn't bother me so much since as a Death Racer, but again, definitely appreciate the sentiment. Um, and then the speeches definitely felt like they were going on way too long, absent the orchestra to play them off, which... I guess though isn't that positive since especially some of the smaller technical categories I know we get played off way too early. Um, so giving everyone a chance to speak their piece to its entirety um, is definitely uh, is definitely I think a plus from my end. And they have to give some genuine moments, well, you know, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, the two humanitarian awards I personally don't have a problem with. Uh, good reason to have a pre-bake or water break if you don't care about them or to catch up on Discord. And, you know, if there's going to be any degree of patting yourselves on the back within the movie industry, might as well be for a good cause, you think? Um, as opposed to another advertisement for the Academy Museums again. Uh, the biggest complaint I definitely had was the weird order of the awards. I felt awfully front-loaded with some of the, what I consider the three major awards. Um, uh, maybe that's just my novice perception as a first-time Oscar watcher, but I definitely know that Best Picture going left should not be a thing moving forward. Um, I, I definitely hope they don't repeat that in the future. Oh, and of course, they didn't play Yaya Ding Dong uh, during the soap opera or even during the pre-show, so major fail there. Okay, so thoughts on the so overall aside, let's get to well, how well I did with my predictions. I'll be going over my personal grouping of categories because, like I said, Oscar order makes no sense to me. Um, I'll be sharing both my pick for who I thought should win um, as well as who would, who I thought would win and then who actually won. First up, we have the swords categories. Uh, for live action sword, I predicted two distant strangers would win, with a preference for feeling through. Um, two distant strangers did end up winning. Uh, and in the documentary swords, I predicted Love Song for Latasa would win, uh, with a preference for Do Not Split. Uh, Colette actually won here, uh, my first miss of the night, um, though that was my second preference behind Do Not Split, so not terribly upset about that. Um, in animated sword, I predicted If Anything Happens, I Love You would win, with my preference being Opera, and I was right, If Anything Happens did end up winning. Uh, 
thing. Uh, moving on to what I call the specialty feature categories. Um, international feature, I predicted and preferred that another round would win, which was, did end up being the winner. Uh, fun fact, since the Oscar ceremony, apparently online rentals for another round have gone up 600%, which is a really great film that deserves this kind of attention. Uh, not so I feel about a possible American remake in the works, though. For animated feature, I predicted and preferred Soul, which of course won as well. Um, and then documentary feature, I predicted that my octopus teacher given it won a bunch of awards ahead of time, but I preferred Collective would win. But as expected, the octopus took home the Oscar. Moving over to the audio categories for best sound, I predicted, preferred, and was correct uh, that Sound of Metal would end up winning. Uh, really fun that Rizamet was the one who was able to present this category. Uh, for best sound, I again predicted and preferred that Soul would win and was correct. Um, though I will say again, Tenet was definitely snubbed in this category, having seen and heard it uh, now. But you know, John Pat, he's you know having a great time on stage uh, and on Stephen Colbert. So later the next day was you know definitely fun to see. And then for original song, I predicted Speak Now from One Night in Miami would win. Um, I think uh, partly because Leslie, o Leslie Odom Jr.'s name would carry it, as well as, you know, this is the only realistic place where the film would probably get any sort of chance at winning. Um, my preference was that, as I said before, Husevik from Eurovision. Um, but in any case, I didn't get either right, as Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah ended up winning. Definitely okay with this one, if only because her uh, is also a Pinai, half Panay, and getting some more representation out there at the Oscars is always a good thing for me. So, uh, still, definitely play Yaya Ding Dong, you cowards, next time. <sighs> Moving on to the technical categories. Best costume went to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, that's what I predicted to win, even though it should have been Emma uh, for makeup. Similarly, uh, predicted and won by Ma Rainey's. Though again, I definitely prefer it go to Pinocchio. All hail Il Toro. Uh, for production, I at least was correct in both my prediction and preference with Mank winning here. Uh, for visual categories, for best VFX, I was correct in my prediction and preference that Tenet would win here. Um, in cinematography, I had been expecting, as many others were, that Nomadland would win, though I did prefer Mank. Um, I guess I'm also a sucker for black and white. Uh, for the only category this Oscars, I was actually right. Um, with my preference winning, um, when I didn't predict it, Mank ended up winning. I guess they really do let it back in the film, um, though I guess less than one saw takes like, like like 1917 last year beating the Lighthouse. Uh, editing, I had thought that Trial of Chicago 7 would win. I figured after I switched my screenplay pick uh, more than a little bit uh, that this would be the only place for the Oscars to award that film here. Um, my preferred winner was The Father, um, as, if it, as it really added to the disorienting narrative of the film, but I was completely off with both, um, with Sound of Metal actually taking the win. Um, I suppose that I shouldn't have been so surprised. In past years, the editing award went to one of two films that won one of the sound categories, uh, with those two combined, I guess this and I thought this might be broken, but I guess that's the case. So uh, definitely, whoever's the favorite for sound will probably end up winning editing in the future, or vice versa. Uh, next in screenplay and directing, original screenplay. I believe last episode I had said was going to be Trial of Chicago Seven. Um, with my preference being Minari for selfish reasons that I resonate with Minari's screenplay a lot more. Uh, however, I think last minute I switched my prediction according to my social media to Promising Young Woman. It turns out that was the right move as Promising Young Woman did end up winning the category, um, which is kind of funny because this is actually, I believe, the first category presented um, and I thought I was completely wrong here. So um, anyway, adapted screenplay. I was also on a Nomadland train winning this one uh, while thinking One Night in Miami sort of won. Again, mostly for personal preference though, White Tiger was a close second for me. 
None of these three won, however, with the father getting its first surprise win of the night here. Um, these were the first two awards uh, uh, presented. Uh, best director, no surprise uh, that Nomadland would win here, which I picked. Again, Nari was my preference, if only selfishly, um, and Chloe Zhao did end up winning this category. I will say that her, her outfit with the uh, winning the Oscars in her sneakers, mad respect for that. And then now to the Best Acting Awards. Uh, Best Supporting Actress, Actor, was won by Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, my pick and preference, so huzzah. Uh, definitely one of the uh, two best speeches of his night, though. Uh, even if it was kind of rambly and somehow came out of his conception, uh, his mom's reaction to that was priceless. Uh, for Best Supporting Actress, uh, we have um, Yoo Jung Yoon uh, winning, which is both my pick and my preference. Um, her low-key flirting with Brad Pitt, who presented and just being an ador- adorable grandmother was hella cute. Another highlight of the night. Finally, hashtag justice for Nainai. Now, Best Actor and Best Actress were a little bit weird here, where for the first time in, I think, over almost 50 years, uh, Best Picture was not the final award. Instead, it was uh, Best Actress and then Best Actor. Um, I suppose the hype, my, my best guess here is that the hype and likely expectation that Chadwick Boseman would end up winning for Best Actor, um, they figured it would be a nice way to end the awards with his, you know, with his uh, widow, uh, you know, celebrating his life in the speech. However, well, we'll, we'll get to that. Anyway, best picture ended up coming after uh, coming in, you know, second to last um, or third to last. I'm not, I forget the exact term is. Um, and as you all expected, it went to Nomadland, which I predicted, even if I preferred Minari. The big surprise was uh, was Frances McDormand, who is producer on the film and accepting the Oscar, howled like a wolf, which is a little bit weird in the moment and uh, pretty disorienting. Um, however, looking to a little bit more afterwards, it turns out that uh, their sound designer, Wolf, uh, Wolf Snyder, uh, passed away to do suicide earlier this year. So um, this was their dedication to him, which in hindsight is pretty sweet. I do wish that Best Picture again had an will always in the future uh, end the so, if only because it definitely felt like Nomadland was kind of robbed of the culmination of its historic run, uh, being a very atypical Oscar-winning film. Anyway, on to Best Actress, I thought I would go to Velo Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, with my preference being Vanessa Kirby, uh, partly seriously, partly because it's a bit of a joke to have all the five nominees win one of the awards. However, it ended up going to Frances McDormand, which... I don't know, man. I guess the Academy just really loves her, um, you know. But for me personally, she was the fourth out of the five actresses for me this year. Um, generally, the only winner this year, well, one of two, I guess, you know, with my octopus teacher um, winning best documentary, um, that I generally was not happy with the with the uh, winner. But anyway, congrats to her for her best actress award, um, three her third of three nominations. So at the very least, I gotta respect that. Finally, Best Actor. Um, as with most of the world, I think we all expected Chadwick Boseman to win. He was my pick and my preference. He'd won every precursor award except the BAFTA, which could be seen as biased because Anthony Hopkins is a Welshman. Um, it, it was the, almost the surge of Sir things. And like I said, I guess Soderbergh thought so as well. However, when Joaquin Phoenix presented the award, it came out that Anthony Hopkins for the father ended up winning. Uh, definitely a big surprise. Not one I'm upset at. Not one that I'm upset at. Uh, Hopkins definitely would have been my second choice for Sir uh, for preferred. Uh, I just think that the most ironic poetic, whatever the word is, uh, thing of this is that since Soderbergh had been insistent that the 83-year-old Welsh actor would not be able to zoom in for his award speech since he didn't want to attend any of the in-person hubs, uh, Hopkins was not in attendance and apparently was asleep at the time. Uh, so the show just kind of 
ended suddenly with Phoenix accepting the award on behalf of Hopkins, as is the case for absent recipients. We did get an acceptance speech in the morning when Hopkins woke up. But instead of the glorious finale from Soderbergh that we expected, um, it kind of ended with a bit of a whimper, um, hoisted by his own petard, as it were. Though there is a, a, somewhat of a case of like a crazy thought that perhaps, like you know, this might have been the best case scenario, or not the best case, but putting best actor last might have been somewhat strategic, right? If you have, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman, and so let's say Chad, Chadwick Boseman ends up winning, um, and, it, and it's before best picture. Well, if that's the case, then um, then it kind of almost overshadows Best Picture in a sense, right? Um, and then on the worst case, on the worst case scenario, well, not worst case, but in a different case scenario where uh, Anthony Hopkins ends up winning as he did here and goes into uh, Best Picture, that would have been a lot of weird energy in the room, I think, um, and people would have definitely been mad with the Oscars. Um, I will say I, I saw this on Twitter. I kind of couldn't steal it, but they definitely sort of ended the show uh, with uh, someone sneaking into Anthony Hopkins' room while he's sleeping and leaving the Oscar on his night table. Um, Anyway, with that, that was the 2021 Oscars. Overall, I ended up with 16 correct predictions and one bonus preferred category out of 23 categories. Um, a little bit worse than last year where I had 19 correct uh, predictions and four bonus preferred categories out of 24. But this was definitely a weird year. As I said on social media, this is definitely the awards ceremony that is emblematic of 2020 as a whole. So kind of fitting. Um, looking at the distribution, I... Um, Actually, I think, you know, it's a little bit more evenly distributed than I, than I thought. Um, you know, just, you know, going on a random sampling of some of the films, um, we ended up having, um, before I would have said that, you know, Nomadland and Ma Rainey each get four awards. Uh, Soul gets two awards, and then everyone else, pretty much uh, Minari, Judas, and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, Trial, Mang, Sound of Metal, and One Night in Miami all get one award, with the father getting none. However, the case here is that Nomadland actually underperformed my predictions with getting one less award than expected. Uh, Ma Rainey's underperformed with getting two uh, instead of uh, getting two instead of four uh, Oscars as predicted. Judas um, Black Messiah overperformed with getting two instead of one. Um, Trial Chicago 7 got none. When I predicted it would get one. Uh, Mank and Sound of Metal both got two instead of one. Um, one Eye Miami underperformed and got none instead of one. And then The Father overperformed getting two instead of the zero that I predicted. So definitely some winners and losers, but still fairly evenly distributed, which I think is uh, pretty nice to see. I will say, though, better than the Oscars and better than this distribution was the Academy of Death Racers Award Ceremony, the Saturday before the Oscars. Um which, again, definitely way better, though maybe I'm a little bit biased. Uh, with 171 voters, we had a few different winners. Uh, best Animated Sort uh, went to Opera, My Preferred, over If Anything Happens, I Love You. Uh, best Documentary Sort went to Do Not Split, My Preferred, over Colette. Um, best Editing went to The Father, My Preferred, over Sound of Metal. Best Makeup, Pinocchio, over Ma Rainey's, uh, My Preferred. Uh, Pinocchio was Pinocchio, to be clear. Uh, best Costume was My Preferred, Emma, over Ma Rainey's. Uh, best Song went to my preferred Husevik over Fight for You. Um, best documentary feature, my preferred Collective over My Octopus Teacher. Sorry, best documentary feature. Um, best cinematography went to Nomadland over my preferred Mank. Uh, best actress went to Carrie Mulligan over Francis McDormand. Best actor, they this did not differ from the Oscars, but I'm just pointing it out because it's interesting that we actually picked the correct best actor over everyone else. Um, and then best pic 
answer, what I really appreciated here was that they sold off round by round um, in terms of the instant, uh, the instant runoff instead of just the final score, with the father ending it, ending up taking it here. Um, it's interesting that it started off with only 18% of the first round votes, but it ended up in the final round 52% over Nomadland's 48%. Uh, in addition, we had our own custom categories. Uh, the biggest cow from the creator's plants, which I presented, uh, went to Promising Young Woman. The best food and drink scene went to the final scene from another round, though my choice was the egg chase scene from Birds of Prey. Uh, two Andy for the Oscars went to I'm Thinking of Andy Things, which I didn't vote for because I didn't see any of them. Uh, best animal performance went to the octopus from my octopus teacher, which I, again, I didn't vote for since I hadn't seen the first cow uh, for to compare and then the secret Hawaiian grants I don't know who they are I uh, ended up picking Wolfwalkers as a film most likely to be a cult classic in the future and then the favorite film overall was Promising Young Woman mine of course if you can tell was Minari Anyway, congratulations to all of the Death East winners. Thanks again to Jeff and Pierre for hosting, uh, Astro for producing, and Dakota for providing all those stats, as well as for everyone else who tuned in and who also presented an award. Here's to hopefully having this happen again in the future next year. So, with the award season more or less wrapped up, what's next for this show? Well, barring any other global disasters shutting down theaters, knock on wood, uh, I think we can expect the show to return on a weekly basis, probably early December or so. Uh, next year's Oscars air February 27th. In the past few years, aside from 2021, uh, obviously, and 2020 Oscars, uh, which were in early February, nominees were announced sometime around the second or third week of January. I'm not entirely certain what that means on my end of the schedule. Um, if I'm traveling or if I have other podcast projects in the, at the end of the year, um, I might dedicate time to them in Instead, but for now, let's say I'm with, I, I'll definitely have a handful of episodes before the nominees are announced. Um, likely, like this year, looking at the best, pic, the most likely best picture nominees again, starting in December before the nominees are announced, and I'll have about four or five episodes of catching up with everything else. Uh, of course, I may be doing some shows here or there as the, as bonus off-season surprises. For example, I'm looking at maybe what's coming out at Cannes, Venice, and Toronto International Film Festivals whenever those happen. So make sure you stay subscribe to the feed to catch those. Um, I also have a lot of films from 2020 I haven't gotten around to. Just from the Academy Death Racers, you know, you have uh, the indie brands with I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Never Really, Sometimes Always, Palm Springs, The Assistant, and Dick Johnson is Dead. Plus, I've heard a lot of good things about First Cow, Cruffle Hunters, and Speed Tubers, and then a number of animated films I wanted to get to that really had no chance of getting nominated, but I think it's still fun to talk about and, and, and think about sticking in there. So maybe, not this week for sure, but maybe sometime in the future I'll do an episode about those at some point as a bonus. Uh, in the meantime, I'll still be doing my own Death Faces. Uh, if you remember last year, after the Oscars, I started another podcast uh, because I love the Death Race format so much, Filmography and Focus, where I do deep dives into the filmography of directors and franchises to better understand them. Uh, I had put the series on hiatus as the idea would be that I would dig into films uh, of directors who had films coming out in theaters so I could prepare for those films to kind of better understand what I'm looking for to appreciate those new films. Uh, for example, looking at all of Wes Anderson's films when the French Dispatch was going to come come out. Well, obviously with theaters getting shut down, I kind of lost my motivation to do that, so I put it on hiatus. However, with theaters back in business, we're good to go. I think my first episode in May will be about the Chris Nolan filmography in light of having just recently watched Tenet. Um, and then in June, we'll have the next Fast and the Furious film coming out, which I haven't seen any of those, so I'll probably watch all of those. Uh, and we'll just go on from there. I have episodes planned for later this year with Dennis Villanueva, James Bond, Edgar Wright, and Many, many more planned. I'll include a link to that show uh, in the show notes if you want to follow along. Um, and I'll be posting the Discord. Um, I'm thinking it may end up putting that series on hiatus whenever Oscar season starts up, since I don't think I can do multiple death races 
at the same time. Unless more people support me on Patreon. Hey, I'm still open to somebody supporting me doing a Razzie's death face. Uh, speaking of filmography and focus and Patreon, since we're going to be going into the off-season, you should know I work on a bunch of other shows as well. And if you want to support what I do as a creator, consider following me on one of those shows and supporting me on Patreon as well. I have a weekly show called Box Office Watch where I break down the box office results from the weekly box office numbers. We had a pretty tight face last weekend with Mortal Kombat nearly beating out Demon Slayer Infinity Train, which I'll be seeing in theaters this coming weekend. Uh, and uh, it also looks like it took the highest total grossing film from 2020 award. Um, I also do an anime podcast called Yet Another Anime Podcast if you're into weeby stuff where I talk about currently airing shows as well as looking back at works of particular genres or studios or directors that you should check out and a couple other you know, shows related to memes uh, I do it at the end of every year uh, where I recap the year through the memes that we shared uh, call that the Year in Memes Podcast and I also do a Magic the Gathering Podcast if you're into that called Into the Ether Vortex so yeah uh, hope you keep following along with me even in the off season. And with that, ladies, gents, and others, uh, that wraps up this episode and this season of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Uh, let me know how your Death Race went over on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Definitely let us know if you have any feedback, any thoughts, what I should be planning to do next season. Um, again, we're going to go on a bit of a break, but make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, to catch us when we end up coming back in season. Uh, you can please leave a review on your still on choice if you've enjoyed the season it really helps us out um, be my friend on Letterboxd and also I'll follow back uh, that'll be linked in the sonus as well user boy, username NinjaBoy follow the Oscars Death Race Discord and subreddit for more fun times during the offseason maybe get a head start on the Death Race films as they come out um, music was provided by Kevin Backleon you can find his stuff at the conflict.filmmusic.io editing and production is provided by NinjaBoy Media that's it for this week this has been the Apollo of the Oscars Death Race podcast and while we're done with this season we'll be back next year uh, next award season trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying <laughs> Yeah, yeah, ding dong. Okay. <laughs> when I feel your gentle touch.